Welcome to a series of netcasts brought to you by Yale University. Nelson Mandela said, I dream of an Africa which is in peace with itself. This is Colleen Shaddix for the Yale Office of Public Affairs, talking with a man who's working to move Africa closer to that dream. Dapo Oyewale is executive director of the Center for African Policy and Peace Strategy, an independent think tank that promotes security, development, and good governance in Africa. He's currently a World Fellow at Yale University. You've got 900 million people, more than 100 languages, excuse me, more than 1,000 languages, strikingly different political systems and geographies. Is it even possible to think about Africa as a region with common concerns? Yes, indeed, because this region also, I mean, is part of um, is part of the global global sphere, and I think it is a common thread across the world for people to live at peace with themselves, like Nelson Mandela said, but also to have an enabling environment in which they can pursue their hopes, their dreams, and their aspirations in an environment that is not um, antagonistic, or, or or disables them from being able to. Um, uh, to have their own views or to express their opinions. Of course, one common thread throughout Africa is the legacy of colonialism. How do we see that affecting governance even today? Well, it still affects governance and, and even part of culture and society in, in interesting ways. One, for example, is that quite a number of the um, quite a number of the African countries um, after independence still adopted the constitution. Of the of of the of their colonial uh, rulers, so to speak. So you find that there are some countries where the constitution doesn't really reflect the hopes, the aspirations, or the culture, or the history, or traditions of these countries. And at times, you find that there's a conflict in between them. The second aspect is in terms of infrastructure. Mm-hmm. A lot of the infrastructure that was developed was such that it um, was it was based on extracting natural resources and taking it to the seaport or some port or the other. So you find that the infrastructure is not designed in a manner that helps the circulation of people and goods within those uh, mm-hmm. regions, but actually is about taking it from source um, to, 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 other, uh, to other markets. I think the third aspect is in terms of education, um, uh, and that has put in a division in terms of Anglophone and Francophone Africa. Mm-hmm. I'm from what you would refer to as Anglophone Africa, so my normal language of communication is, a, is in English, even though I have my mother the tongue, which is Yoruba. Mm-hmm. But I, I'll probably feel more comfortable in London or in New York than I would be in Cote d'Ivoire or in Senegal because uh, there's a um, language divide. So those are some of the ways in which colonization still has some impact in, in, in Africa. Let's go back to infrastructure for a second, because now that it seems IT infrastructure is becoming more important than physical infrastructure, actually, for business. Is it possible for some African countries to sort of leapfrog into that 21st century infrastructure? Absolutely, and it's already happening. Africa itself is one of the largest, fastest growing markets in terms of telecommunications, particularly in terms of mobile telephony, for example. So you find that quite a number of the mobile phone companies are investing in Africa because they realize, on one hand, this is a huge untapped market that will be profitable for them to invest in. But secondly, because that investment is transforming social, economic, and and, and political architecture in Africa in many interesting ways, which I perhaps will leave for now and then come to if you're 
you'd well, like me to go address ahead. It? Tell me a little bit about that. Well, for example, let's look at youth unemployment. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the challenges is that many people went to school and they'll get out of school, but there won't be anywhere for them to, to, to find jobs. One of the things that has happened now is that uh, young people, when they come out of school or even people that did not go to school, can easily put together some money and actually start a business by selling vouchers. Mobile mm-hmm. phone vouchers, the street corners, in traffic, they are guaranteed that somebody will need to buy a voucher. And of that, they make a percentage which they reinvest in their business or use for their own upkeep. So that is one aspect, for example. In terms of farmers trying to find out the price of, 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 of goods in the city, mm-hmm. nowadays they don't have to go all the way to the city. They can right. just send a text message. Right. And another interesting way, uh, which, which is quite interesting, is that at times people can actually send money to each other Mm -hmm. by one person buying a telephone voucher, putting in the number, sending it to someone else, and that person sells it to somebody else. So you can get the number and get someone who will pay for it. So even that is beginning to be a a form of currency, interestingly. So that's a bit of innovation for Africa for you. And this is a part of the world where banking, credit cards are a bit less common than they are here. So that would be incredibly useful. Mobile telephony is actually now being used for banking, which I think has helped a lot of people who were unable to go to the cities, to go to the banks and things of that nature, to actually be able to uh, use this uh, great magic of uh, information technology to to, to be part of the uh, banking um, um, structures. What does Africa need to foster more stable democracies? Well, the first thing that has to happen is that Africa needs to take responsibility for itself. Mm-hmm. And in doing so, one of the critical aspects is about leadership. We need to ensure that we have leaders who are competent, mm-hmm. who are knowledgeable, but who also have the very best interests of the people at, at heart. But then that's a lot of burden on the leader. So mm-hmm. we need to have institutions that can ensure, independent institutions that can ensure that that is the case and that if such a leader or, or if a leader comes into power and is not able to deliver on those, then that person will be held accountable. Mm-hmm. The other aspect is that we need a more enabling international environment that moves away from stereotypes about Africa being this place of danger and and, and of reading with crime, conflict, and disaster, Mm -hmm. but to begin to see that it's a very resilient continent with a lot to offer the world in terms of natural resources, in terms of culture, and in terms of business opportunities. And I think if we're able to rebrand Africa, if I could use that phrase, Mm -hmm. and begin to let the rest of the world see that Africa is a place of opportunity as as opposed to a place of danger, then we might now begin to have the kind of foreign direct investment that will enable the African economies to be able to perform more effectively on the global stage. But at the same time, we need the institutions of, of, of governance um, across the world to ensure that even the global economic and politi- political architecture is designed in a way that doesn't continue to marginalize Africa, but gives Africa an opportunity to be a part and parcel as equal partners in the international decision-making process. Well, let's talk about investment versus aid. How big a role do you think aid, at least as aid is administered right now, is going to play in eradicating disease and poverty in Africa? Well, I think one of the important things about this debate about aid is that we need to make the distinctions in the different type of aid. There's military aid, there's humanitarian aid, there's development aid, and things of that nature. I think, and therefore, I mean, we need to engage in the analysis of the role of aid uh, Mm -hmm. differently. Let's look at development aid, for example. I think it's useful. 
it's useful because some of these economies are are not as uh, powerful as they ordinarily would could have been um, because of the history of some of these countries, colonization as well as uh, mismanagement by their own leaders. So some of these economies are weak. They need mm-hmm. the help to be able to um, to to catalyze the economic processes. If we're talking about humanitarian aid, that's a that's a clear humanitarian issue. If people are starving, if people are dying, the rest of the world has a responsibility to help. Mm-hmm. But in terms of looking at long-term development aid, where a country's um, um, GD, um, uh, revenue is based on getting money from outside, that is very problematic. First of all, it distorts the whole notion of democracy because what happens is if your funding is coming from outside, then, mm. you're, then you're being held accountable from outside as opposed to how democracy is meant to work about, well, I'm a citizen, I pay taxes, you answer to me. It mm-hmm. distorts that. Secondly, it stifles policy innovation. If a, go- if, a, if a president knows that all he needs to do is sit down and wait for money to come from the West, then he's not going to be innovative about doing anything at all. Mm-hmm. So finally, I think that, yes, aid is useful in trying to assist, and the key word here is assist certain countries that are incapable or weak to be able to put themselves on an even kill, to be able to um, engage profitably and to be able to be stable. But as a long-term strategy, I think it's very problematic and it will not, on the long-term, help Africa or any African country Mm -hmm. to be able to address its challenges on a sustainable basis while it's able to maintain its sovereignty and independence. Now, the Bush administration has been very pro-aid. Do you expect that the next administration is going to continue in that same vein? Well, as you know, in the in, in the era of political campaigns, you can only judge um, political candidates by what they say and what they've done in the past. Mm-hmm. We, um, you have to wait to see exactly what it is that they do. So maybe a few years from now, we could have this conversation and I could tell you exactly what I think. But the... Based on the indications, um, um, if um, the polls tell us correctly that uh, Senator Obama is going to be the next president, then definitely, because he has come out clearly to say that he believes that there should be more investment in Africa. He believes that the the investment and support in Africa should be more holistic, Mm -hmm. looking at the broader areas of social, economic, and political, and not just in terms of disease alone. And these issues are all interconnected. Um, And if it happens to be... Senator McCain, he has also said more specifically, though, about continue the fight against malaria and HIV AIDS. Mm -hmm. But I think in terms of helping Africa from the United States, it's not really just about tackling disease and poverty, but it's about helping to provide um, an enabling environment where Africa itself can overcome these issues. And one of the ways in which that can be done is being able to have equitable um, rules for trade. Now, You frequently serve as a source for journalists covering African issues, and I'm struck by the fact that one frequently reads or sees African stories um, in which no Africans are quoted. What needs to happen to change that? What does the rest of the world need to do to get more in tune with Africa? The mindset. The mindset needs to change. Um, often we Africans are bystanders in our own affairs. We sit in the audience and observe the rest of the world discuss us, talk Mm -hmm, about us, mm -hmm. analyze us. And often we don't have a say in the issue. Mm -hmm. And that's not because we don't have anything to say. It's because at times people don't ask us. So I think what is happening now is that people are beginning, uh, particularly in the media, are beginning to realize that 
perhaps one of the reasons for policy failure or the analyt- uh, um, um, the failure in analysis about African affairs and African issues is the simple common sense approach of why don't you just ask the people that mm-hmm. are involved. That is changing now. You're finding more um, African journalists uh, who are able to um, provide reportage and analysis on the global stage. And I think that, and, and I think as the international audience begins to appreciate the authenticity and even the passion through mm-hmm. which Africans tend to speak, which is a unique aspect of what we bring to the global cultural right. table, I think um, more people will begin to realize that it makes more sense um, for, for, for Africans to tell their own stories in a way that reflects their culture, reflects their realities, but also is able to um, promote global and broader understanding of Africa and as well as Africa's place in the world. Do you think there's enough attention paid to African success stories? There are some countries in Africa that are having enormous renaissances. Well, again, that feeds into how the media is a very commercial entity. At the end of the day, it's all about ratings, as mm-hmm. you see. So sensationalist stories that, you know, are very dramatic about, you know, Darfur or conflict somewhere or starving children with big tummies, you know, they're mm-hmm. more visually engaging. And I think there's been a tradition of using those kind of pictures to depict Africa because you get the kind of audience reaction that is necessary. Mm-hmm. But if we're talking about really telling people the real story of Africa, mm-hmm. then you are absolutely right. There needs to be, uh, um, um, the, the media needs to begin to show a more balanced portrayal of Africa. And part of that is the success stories. Um, economic growth rates have never been faster. Democracy is, um, is, um, is, is spreading across the continent. And people, people are doing well. Even in the diaspora, we find that quite a number of Africans who were in the US or in the UK are going back home to right. set up businesses. So right. many great things are happening. If there was one thing that you could tell the world about Africa, what would be the message you'd want to send? I think the key message would be that Africa is not that Conradian heart of darkness that people have um, tended to think that it is or that is often portrayed in all kinds of media. I think if anyone really wants to understand Africa, they need to be able to see, smell and feel Africa. And it's very important that people know that it is not a place of danger and just conflict. It's got its challenges, but it also has a lot in terms of of, of opportunities and culture and color. And um, I would say that if people really want to know Africa, if they really want to understand Africa, then then they need to go beyond the stereotypes and beyond the ordinary perspectives and take a trip down to Africa and see what it's like. Thank you. We've been talking with Dapo Oyewale, who's participating in Yale's World Fellows Program for Emerging Leaders Around the Globe. For more information, please visit yale.edu slash worldfellows.